We're going to be digging into the Word of God. We're going to specifically looking at First uh, Peter. Uh, we're going to try to look at verses 1 through 12. We probably won't get there, but again, it's going to be First Peter. We're going to do as we usually do. We're going to go through books of the Bible and just take a look at them verse by verse and trust that the Lord will, the Holy Spirit will do the heavy lifting. So if you have a Bible, please, First uh, Peter, again, verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at as Miss Faye just read. Miss Faye, you look beautiful today. Thank you for reading the Word of God for us. So, Well, on uh, November 4th, 2013, I can't believe it's been that long, uh, my wife and I's dear friend, the sweet Anne Ortland, went home to be with Jesus. Anne, uh, many of you may not know, but Anne was a pastor's wife. Uh, she was married to Pastor Ray for over 50 years. They pastored at Mariner's Church and Lake Avenue Church and did all sorts of things. They worked alongside Billy Graham for many years, but she may have been known by, to some of you by maybe some of her best-selling books. What a sweet lady that she was. But I remember you know, hearing the news. When the news was brought to me and Louise about uh, Anne's death, we knew that she was in ill health. We knew that time was short. I remember leaning over her bed uh, with Louise and just seeing a lady that weighed about 65 pounds or so. Cancer had riddled her body. But I still remember when I asked her, I said, Miss Ann, what can I do for you? And she said, would you just get that Bible out, Pastor, and just start reading it? Any place will do. That was the sweet Ann Ortland. But you know, when she passed away, I couldn't help but reminisce. We do that when people pass away, people we love. We begin to reminisce. We begin to think of all those things we learned from them and the times uh, that we shared uh, with our sweet aunt. But as I began to put this teaching together, I just couldn't get Miss Anne out of my thoughts, and I just trust that it's of the Lord. A few things came to mind uh, that she shared with me. I'm going to give you two, one, one kind of practical and fun and one a little bit more serious. She said to Louise and I often, she said, Charlie and Louise, do you want to know what elevators are for? And you're thinking, what in the world? And she says, they're made for kissing. And she says, every time you get in one, as long as no one's there, you just kiss away. She says, one of the reasons why we live in an apartment, so they live in this little high-rise place, and uh, you would, every time they got in, they would kiss. It was true. They would, they would do such things. Uh, she also said that, uh, Charlie and Louise, when, when a time comes, we were really young. We didn't know a whole heck of a lot, and we sure, but I, I acted like I did, but I didn't know anything, and she knew that. She was so kind, but, but she said, there's going to come a time when you're going to be discouraged in life, discouraged in the ministry, discouraged as a person. Just life can be discouraging, and I think that's obvious for most of us. But she would say, read God's Word daily, enjoy it, nourish on it. But she said something else that I thought was a little bit different, and I want to share it with you. She said, read missionary biographies. And she said, commit to me that you and Louise will read missionary biographies. She said, if you do that, a few things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to immediately stop feeling sorry for yourself in chapter one. <laughs> and you'll continue to stop feeling chapter, sorry for yourself in chapter two and all the way through. And she said, it's going to help you keep your trials in perspective going to keep your suffering in perspective. The book of 1 Peter offers something to all of us that are in Christ. It offers us a gospel perspective 
on all of our short lives. Our life, as we have learned and continue to learn, is but a vapor. So the author of this book, which is Peter, he writes to somebody. Who does he write to? He's writing to us, yes, but the original audience. He's writing to Christians that are facing intense suffering. The message is one of hope, this letter. It's a message of hope. It's a message of grace. And, and also, everything that we read here is centered on something very profound. Not just Christ, if that wasn't enough, the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. The book of 1 Peter is going to help each of us to understand what we really need to understand and continue to understand the hope-filled message and experience of the resurrection life that Jesus Christ offers us today and forevermore, as long as we're on this earth. The resurrection of Jesus is not something that's not a one-time deal. It's something that we keep going back to the cross and thinking what Christ has done. So with that in view, my sermon title is, We Are a Hopeful People. We, meaning those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We, you, Pastor Charlie, is a hopeful people according to the Word of God. But Peter opens up this letter with a greeting. It's pretty standard. Let's look at it. It says, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. He then says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood. And then he ends that little greeting with this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, to you, church a pastor that loves his church, cares for them deeply, is shepherding them and shepherding them well, as every pastor should do, every leader should do. We see that in verse 1, that Peter identifies himself in a unique way. What does he say? He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we see right there that it's Peter who not only authored this letter, but Peter identifies himself as he identifies himself as the apostles, the apostle of Jesus Christ. This word apostle means one who is sent. Christ's divinely ordained, direct commission, authoritative representatives in the early church. That is what an apostle is, sent out by Christ himself. That is Peter. Peter is one of a dozen men who walked with Jesus. Let me say that again. The author of this letter, this man, literally walked with Jesus. As he walked with Jesus, he bore witness to his life. He bore witness to his ministry, the miracles, his death, and the resurrection. He bore witness to this. So Peter writes this letter with apostolic authority because he was there and Christ says so. So as we read that letter, keep that in view. Again, who was Peter writing to? Well, it says here, the elect exiles or pilgrims, depending on your uh, translation. You know, elect exiles or pilgrims, these are strangers placed into a land that's not their own. 
Some of you say, I feel like this world we're living in, it's not really the same anymore. I feel like I don't belong here. It's weird now. It's always been weird, but let's agree it's getting weirder, darker, right? Elect exiles here in the text. So, so, so Peter's saying, those of you who are temporary residents or foreigners, I wonder if they all knew they were temporary residents or foreigners. They're obviously learning that. This is all new. They're not reading books on this. This is all happening fast. It's happening now. Yet these are the elect, according to the word. The elect, the called out ones. The idea here is that they have been selected by God or chosen by God for salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, lest no man should boast. I think we get that. So Peter is writing to Christians. Christians. That's the primary audience. Yes, there's a secondary audience, but primarily the church, the Christian. So exiles of the dispersion. Again, dispersion is believers who have been scattered around the world. That's all that means. So if you see that in the text, families, dispersion, it's the believers who have been scattered all over the place. They once were in this city, and now they're all over the place now. That's the dispersion, right? Exiles of the dispersion, and then it still goes on to give about five of these the provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are the five Roman provinces, what is now, today, modern Turkey. You know what the percentage of people are in Turkey, this Bible land, that are Christians today? Less than a half a percent. It's amazing what's happening in these Bible lands where the gospel went out, and now many have rejected it. But yet the Lord still says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Just a side point. These uh, places in which they've been dispersed, there's consequences for being uprooted from their home. They're feeling the weight of that. Their families are feeling the weight of that. They're being scattered. They're being uprooted from their homes, from their families, from their jobs. Uh, Paul is writing to say, I want to encourage you. I don't want to discourage you. He's not going to them saying, I'll tell you what you need to do is I just want you to pray more. Have more faith. No, he's coming like a shepherd. Those things are important. But he's saying, I'm coming to you. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a living hope. I want to encourage you because every believer needs to be encouraged. All of us need to be encouraged. We need to get good at encouraging people, pastor included. They've been uprooted. They're in the midst of persecution. Paul is writing to let them know Yes, I see you. I understand. I see you. I understand. I'm with you. However, i got to give you the truth. Suffering is normal. It's part and parcel of the gospel message. So he doesn't just say, it's just normal, get over it. He gets to that. It's normal. God hasn't forsaken you. You're not alone. This is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. And then as we continue to read, he'll tell them several different times, this is not your home. This is not where it's going to end for you. There's something for you to look forward to. This is not the end. But we see in verse 2 something very brilliant, and you can exegete this probably for you know, 50 weeks. I can't, but some smart preacher could. 
But why don't we just look at verse 2 and see what you see there. Give you a hint. One of the things we see is the Trinity. According to the foreknowledge of God, verse 2, the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. We see the Trinity on full display here. It is this triune God that secures and accomplishes this great salvation that he, think, he talks about, Peter does. We know that the Spirit sanctifies those, from, 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 sanctifies those whom the Father has chosen for obedience to Christ. We, we know that. But we are set apart. So the message to us and to them, we are set apart people, not because of what you've done, because of what Christ has done, and we're to be hopeful because of it. But he just keeps going. We see that Christ was sacrificed. We see it. We see his blood was poured out. We know it. Uh, once God uh, said to Moses, you may recall this, it's in Exodus 24, 8, but he's, the Lord said to Moses, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take these people. I want you to set apart Israel. Set them apart. Set them apart. And as you set them apart, know that they're my covenant people. It's by sprinkle the blood of sacrificed animals on the people. Moses, I want you to do that. I want you to take my set-apart people, sacrifice animals, sprinkle blood on them. I want people to know these are my people. We see that. Exodus 24.8 says, And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people, and he said, Behold, again, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So we are to be a hopeful people. We see an example there of the old covenant. We're now into the new covenant. We see that uh, being depicted in our text this morning. We are to be a hopeful people because we, in fact, live under the new covenant. Christ is the one and done sacrifice. It's Christ's blood that ushers us into this new covenant because of his sacrificial death. The Son has established, the Son meaning Jesus, second person of the Godhead, that Jesus himself, Jesus comes to his people. He establishes a new and better covenant. Jesus is better than. Remember Hebrews? He's better than. It's a new and better covenant. I want to stop now because I feel like I'm being a bit didactic, but when I just read the first couple of verses there, and even if you can't grasp every single word and don't know the Greek, you know, just can you just back up for a second and understand this, what Christ has done? Does that encourage you? You see, Peter wants the people of God to be encouraged. Let me ask another question. Are you satisfied that Christ has satisfied the wrath of God? Does that satisfy you? I guess another question that we can go along with that is, just before the Lord at this time, can I ask you a personal question? 
Are you a hopeful person? Are you hopeful? I mean, truly, are you a hopeful person? I want to give you an illustration that I think all of you are going to grasp. Has anybody here heard of Weenie the Pooh? You see, Weenie the Pooh is a pretty good guy, but he's got a friend, and his friend's name is Eeyore. Eeyore is an old donkey. Do you guys have any friends that are old donkeys? He's an old donkey. He's very pessimistic, and he's quick to always point out the dark clouds above. But we see in this little uh, make-believe story that his friends rally around him, and they try to help him the best they can, but old Eeyore just keeps pointing to what, what's not right. Did you see the dark clouds? Did you see this? Oh, woe is me. That's just Eeyore. That's, that's, that's kind of how he is. But he's got some times where he, he seems to be making progress, but he keeps just going right back to being good old Eeyore because he's a character. Characters do what they do. Characters are dead, but Christians are alive. So alive people do something different than a character. They're alive, they obey. They want to because of what he's done for us. Do you have a friend like Eeyore? Everybody's got it. If you do, just say yes. Are you Eeyore? Say yes. Here's the reality. All of us are like Eeyore from time to time. I know I am. I hate to admit that, but it's true. We need encouragement. That's the second time I've said that. We need friends. We need proper biblical perspective. We need help. How many of you know you need help? I need help. I need help. We need truth. We, we, need, we need truth. We need hope. Did you know that the world right now is desperate for hope? It's the Christians who are to be the hope dealers. Not drug dealers, hope dealers. This is not just for you. This is for your pastor. The world doesn't need any more sages on the stage. All of us. This word of God is for all of us. There are no grace graduates, just a painful sanctification process. And we're all in it together. We need the truth. We need hope. Peter, though, in him saying, be hopeful. And yes, here's the good news of the gospel. But I want to I go to verse 6 and, and notice something. And I'll come back. But, and I'm not going to repeat the whole verse, but basically in verse 6, Though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's not ignoring the dark times of life. That's not how he ministers to the people. That's not how he encourages the people. He talks to them about it. He understands. If anybody understands doing the wrong thing, you know, Peter, insert, insert your foot in your mouth, Peter. It's him. But praise God, the, sanctif the sanctification process of his life shows him now as a mature man. Peter does not ignore the dark, the dark times of life. But it says, though now for a little while, verse 6, you have been grieved, grieved by various, various trials. This word grieve here, this is not just, yeah, man, there's some hard stuff going on. Sometimes we think the hard stuff is when we go to a restaurant and they make you wait an extra five minutes or forget your soda <clears throat> or yet to go back in. You didn't put the hot sauce in there? Are you kidding me right now? No, not that kind. I mean like 
grief, like sorrow, despair, where you're hurting. He's talking about that time. So think about why is he putting this in there? Because that's what many of them are going through. They've got deep sorrow. They've, they've got deep pain. This week, as I answered my phone, I spent a lot of time with people who were in deep pain. Not all of them. There were a lot of people going to emergency room this week or kids going to emergency. There was a lot going on this week. It was tough. But this pain that we see here, this pain or the grief, is, 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 it says something here. It says that's going to happen, but you're going to have various trials. But also, as we continue to read, we understand that it's temporal. These don't go on forever. So what he's saying to the church is don't lose hope. He's not saying it's going to go away now. He's saying don't lose hope. Be hopeful in the midst of it all. But how in the world can we do such things? How is it that these people are to do such things? Because that's a lot to take in. Well, we have to understand that we have a true shepherd who looks after our soul, this Lord, this Savior. And we have to understand that it's in these moments of, of, of various trials and, and grief that, that God is doing something in the moments. He's not wasting it. He's using it if you will let Him. You can continue to be a victim or you can get up under the victor, which is Christ. God will change you. He never wastes a hurt. He's always doing something in those moments where we think he's not. All trials are not happening to you. They're happening for you. I hate when I say that because it's hard to obey that. Think about what I just said. Was it reckless? These trials are not happening to you. They're happening for you. That's preacher talk. It really is. But it's true. When we start seeing the trials as, it's not happening to me. God's doing something. He's, he's, he's shaping me. He's molding me. He's going to use this. Something's going to come out of this that's going to help me in my walk with the Lord. Help others. He's doing something. He's doing something. He never wastes a hurt. I wrote this down. There's three things that happen in trials. There's probably more, but let me give you three. Number one, they prove your faith. Trials prove your faith. Number two, they develop your faith. So they prove your faith. They develop your faith. And here it is. It brings glory to God. Don't waste a crisis. Trials are opportunities to glorify God. Say amen. amen. It's true. Hard to do, but true. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness, the, the tested genuineness of your faith 
which is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the fruit that should come from it. So God, again, is using persecution. God is using suffering to test us while we live in this world. It's normal Christianity. Again, don't get too comfortable in this world. It's not your home. Heaven is your home. Your reward is coming. There's an inheritance coming. Look at 4 and 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, look at this part, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, what God reveals, what we reveal, God conceals. What we conceal, God reveals. He's a revealer. Christians need to have their sin revealed. We need to go before the Lord and ask Him to help us. Help me with my lack of faith. Help me for not noticing that you're working in my life. I just get so frustrated and bitter and angry because I, I feel like this is happening to me, not for me. I'm struggling. Oh God, would you help me? That is something God's going to help you with. I praise God that we're not a perfect people, just a forgiven people. Amen? So why are we to be a hopeful people? I'll keep asking that question. Well, we have a sure salvation, so the text says. You can't lose your salvation. Some would say, yeah, I don't know if I believe that because there was a time in my life where I knew this guy and I knew this gal and they're on fire for the Lord and they went away and they never came back to the Lord. Well, the Bible says they went out from you because they weren't of you. But we've got to be careful with that because there's prodigals running all around the place. I'm going to talk about one when I close my service. When I close the service today, I think it will encourage you. We're to be a hopeful people. This inheritance of salvation is kept for you. You see that in the text? Kept for you. God is keeping it for us. God keeps it safe. You see it? He keeps it safe. So why are we to be a hopeful people? Because of God's mercy. Go back to verse 3. God's mercy. Why are we to be a hopeful people? Because we are born again to a living hope. Go back to verse 3. We're born again to a living hope. This is good news. What does it say in verse 3? Blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Glad you asked. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see it? How does it all happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Not a dead hope. Living hope. Have you ever been with people who are Christians? 
and they believe in a risen Jesus. They're, they're fired up, but they come into church, and as we begin to sing, it looks like they're sucking on lemons. No. We rejoice. We, we, we look at what we have. We're, we're blessed. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen, this word hope, it's not vague in the text. It's not a vague hope. It's not like, um, you know, it's not trivial. It's not like, I, I hope, you know, Louise and I find a way to get to In-N-Out Burger today. I hope we get there. That's not this type of hope. Hope in this text is a certain expectation of a future event. He's giving them hope by telling them the truth of this future event that they can count on. You can be certain of it. An expectation of the things to come. Something sweeter. So Peter is he's doing something here. Peter is doing something significant. He wants this church... He wants us to be a people who are grounded in the truth. Grounded in the truth. The truth of what? The resurrected Jesus. What if that's true? Jesus did not stay dead. We are hopeful because Jesus took our sins. He communed our death sentence. We are hopeful because we no longer Christian, listen, we no longer need to fear death. The world is scared to die. You need not be that way. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we also, watch this, benefits of being sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have hope of our own resurrection. We don't die either. The world thinks we do. We spend eternity with Christ. We're hopeful. Beloved, a future resurrection is not just words, it's a promise. You can stand on this promise that the Lord gives us. It's a promise. People, Peter will go on not only to let us know that we live beyond death, but also what type of life that's going to be as we begin to unpack this epistle. Yes, there's persecutions. We saw it. Yes, there's trials. We saw that in James. Yes, they cause us grief. That's okay. But the worst persecution, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, your life could get, get cut short. Persecution can come on you as it comes on to many of our missionaries overseas. It could lead to death. You know who's ruling during this time? Nero. He hates Christians. He hates the church. He's not for the church. It would be great, bring him great honor. We think we're persecuted. It would bring him great honor to take some of the people who don't agree with him and go ahead and put them on a stick and cover them with black pitch and light them on fire so he can have light for his parties. It's a different kind of persecution. Different kind, right? This is serious. Persecution, trials, they cause us grief. We may even pay the ultimate price for our faith. Yes, we, yet we can be sure, sure 
this church can be sure, we can be sure that death will not hold us down, that sudden death is in fact sudden glory for the believer. Amen? Look at verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I pray that's true for you. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Glory to God. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a verse. What verses. You see, when we believe God, when you believe God, you obey God. Not perfectly, consistently, patterned. When you love God, you rejoice. There's a word here It says rejoice in the text. It's not saying rejoice later. It's saying rejoice now. So we can rejoice when things are going sideways. When we're grieving, we can still rejoice. So the text is saying that we can do both things. We can grieve and we can rejoice. Both can be done. says you thank him. It says believers, you praise him. You praise him for the future. You praise him for the future that he has for us. You praise him for what he's already done. So let that inspire us. Let us be a people who delight in him. He's doing something now in you. He ain't done with you yet. Ain't ain't a word, but it fits here. He ain't done with you yet. And he's already done something. So he's done something pretty significant. He was slaughtered for our iniquities on the cross. And he continues to work in our lives because he's alive. The question is, not that is he alive, are we alive? Truly regenerated and truly love God. There are many of you here that do love God. And what a joy it is to be part of this fellowship with you. I want to give you a couple of applications for this text. And let me ask a couple of questions. Why are Christians to be hopeful? Did you see that in the text? Maybe when you go out today and you have lunch or you're with a girlfriend, you're hanging out with people, with your sons, daughters. Why are Christians to be hopeful? Did you see it in there? What are some ways that we can live hopeful even when we're grieved? Consider that. I think those questions are in your bulletin. Let me give you a couple things that you can do. Learn the secret of contentment. Contentment flows out of the believing that God has provided everything we need for the present moment and that he will provide all that we need in the future. We want to ask God in these moments not about just what our needs are, even though you can come and you should. Ask God to fulfill his purposes. God uses adversity to show us what is in our hearts to purify us, and to deepen our dependence on Him. Anybody feeling like they're way deep in depending on the Lord right now? Amen, right? Some seasons can be proved to be great times of blessing, but sometimes we're being stripped, not because we've done something. Sometimes it is stuff we do. We have, we're self-reliant, and our hearts have turn from the Lord and he tries to get our attention. There's lots of reasons here. I guess I would also say, place your confidence in the Lord. 
Learn the secret of contentment. Ask God to fulfill his purposes. Allow God to purify your heart. Place your confidence in the Lord because he can be trusted. He loves his people. He knows what you're facing. He cares for you. Peter cares for this flock. How much more so does the Lord care? These circumstances that you are going through, trials or a friend's going through, they're not a surprise to the Lord. They haven't caught him off guard. He's still on the throne and he's accomplishing his purposes through these things. We have to trust him with various trials. He will provide, and this is what I believe for many of you, now is a time for you to put into action what you say you believe. And I believe you're going to do well. Now is the time to see what God can do. So here's a few things. Remember what God has done in the past. Notice this letter goes back to the Old Testament a lot. Remember what God has done in the past. Let's rely on his character. Let's rehearse his promises. We saw a promise in the text today. Refrain from taking matters into your own hands. Don't let fear drive you to places God doesn't want you to go. The last thing, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Regardless of what's going on in the world, what's going on in your personal situation, if we have him, if we have him, we have everything that we need. Everything we need, we have plenty of reasons to rejoice. So I want you to think about that. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in what Christ has done or what God's doing or what you know he's going to do. And trust him with it. Trust him. He can be trusted. I want to leave you with this. About five weeks ago, I uh, took an Uber. If you don't know what an Uber is, a taxi. And as I took this Uber, I, I was picked up. Uh, I don't even know where I was at. But anyways, the, the ride took me to, my house, to, the, to the church. This lady picked me up. She's a fiery lady. As soon as I sat down, she was going for it. I mean, she was talking politics. She was talking everything. It was boom, 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 boom. I said, you're a fiery bird. You know that? Because I'm 74 years old. I ain't afraid of work. I like to work. Work's good. We should all work. And she just kept going and going and going and going. And as she began to talk, she said a lot of things. Some were a little, you couldn't say them in church. And as we pulled up to the church, the doors were shut. I could see it, her little iPhone that was on her dash pinged. It pinged like, you're there. And then she saw, it said, Lakeshore City Church. So realizing that she said a lot of things, she's in the front, she looks back at me, and she says, do, do you work here? I said, I do. And she said, what do you do? So I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. I, I know better. You got me. And I said to her, I said, Charlotte, why don't you come in and use the restroom? Let me get you a glass of water. And she goes, you know, I'd like that. So she parked her car out front, let it running, left it running, came in, used the bathroom right over there. I gave her a drink. I invited her to church. Said, Here's my number. Love to have you sit next to me if you come. She says, I'll do that. She gets home and she texts me. She says, I can't stop thinking about our conversation. 
I almost feel like God was in this thing. I said, yeah, he has a funny way of doing that. So she shows up on Sunday. Brian, you got that picture you can put up for me? No? So I took a, one of the seats right here, right next to Ron Gallerini, our care pastor. I, put, I printed out her name, put it on the chair, had a gift card for her, a book. So her name is there. She comes and she sits next to me. And we just start having a conversation about the things of the Lord. She told me how she was saved at an early age and was baptized. And she'd kind of been unchurched for a while since the whole COVID thing. And she was apologetic. And I just kept talking to her and encouraging her. And uh, I had to get up and preach. When I got done preaching, she hugged me. She hugged people that were next to me. She kept talking to me. I just love this church. I love what God's doing here. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I found this place. She texted me when she got home, and she texted me every single day. She texted me so much that I had to say, you know, Charlotte, let me introduce you to my mom. She's more your age. <laughs> she goes, well, I'd like that. I said, well, my mom sits in the second row right next to Miss Faye, Tony, and then you'll be my mom. You want to do that? She goes, I'll love that. And I said, why don't you come out? So she did. Second week, she sat next to my mom and Miss Tony and Miss Faye, and with the first worship song, I think it was, she left her, she brought a friend. She left her friend, and she came to the front. And I said, what are you doing? So I can't sit still. I got to dance. I said, ma'am, we're in a Baptist church. We don't do that here. She started dancing. She got done, same thing. She texts me each day, and then on Friday, she says, Pastor, I'm not feeling well. Would you pray for me? I said, I sure will. Then uh, the next week, uh, I get a text from her friend that she brought. She said, I got some sad news. Uh, Charlotte uh, had a heart attack and had a stroke. And I said, well, let me get the prayer team to be praying for her. I kept checking in on her, and I got the news yesterday that Charlotte had passed away. You never know. You never know. I praise God for the living hope. I praise, praise God for the gospel that he took one of his prodigals and brought her home. I just want you to think about that and be encouraged. She would never want to trade places with me and you today. She understands a living hope better than any pastor could articulate. She's there. Where will you spend eternity? If you're a prodigal today, come home. If you don't know Jesus today, make it known. If you're going through a lot, come, let us pray for you. Let us truly pray for you. Let us encourage you. We're going to be digging into the Word of God. We're going to specifically looking at First uh, Peter uh, we're going to try to look at verses 1 through 12. We probably won't get there, but again, it's going to be First Peter. We're going to do as we usually do. We're going to go through books of the Bible and just take a look at them verse by verse and trust that the Lord will, the Holy Spirit will do the heavy lifting. So if you have a Bible, please, First uh, Peter, again, verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at as Miss Faye just read. Miss Faye, you look beautiful today. Thank you for reading the Word of God for us. So, Well, on uh, November 4th, 2013, I can't believe it's been that long, uh, my wife and I's dear friend, the sweet Ann Ortland, 
went home to be with Jesus. Anne, uh, many of you may not know, but Anne was a pastor's wife. Uh, she was married to Pastor Ray for over 50 years. They pastored at Mariner's Church and Lake Avenue Church and did all sorts of things. They worked alongside Billy Graham for many years, but she may have been known by, to some of you by maybe some of her best-selling books. What a sweet lady that she was. But I remember you know, hearing the news. When the news was brought to me and Louise about uh, Anne's death, we knew that she was in ill health. We knew that time was short. I remember leaning over her bed uh, with Louise and just seeing a lady that weighed about 65 pounds or so. Cancer had riddled her body. But I still remember when I asked her, I said, Miss Anne, what can I do for you? And she said, would you... Just get that Bible out, Pastor, and just start reading it. Any place will do. That was the sweet Anne Ortland. But you know, when she passed away, I couldn't help but reminisce. We do that when people pass away, people we love. We begin to reminisce. We begin to think of all those things we learned from them and the times uh, that we shared uh, with our sweet Anne. But as I began to put this teaching together, I just couldn't get Miss Anne out of my thoughts, and I just trust that it's of the Lord. A few things came to mind uh, that she shared with me. I'm going to give you two, one, one kind of practical and fun and one a little bit more serious. She said to Louise and I often, she said, Charlie and Louise, do you want to know what elevators are for? And you're thinking, what in the world? And she says, they're made for kissing. And she says, every time you get in one, as long as no one's there, you just kiss away. She says, one of the reasons why we live in an apartment, they live in this little high-rise place, and uh, you would, every time they got in, they would kiss. It was true. They would, they would do such things. Uh, she also said that, uh, Charlie and Louise, when, when a time comes, we were really young. We didn't know a whole heck of a lot, and we sure, but I, I acted like I did, but I didn't know anything, and she knew that. She was so kind, but, but she said, there's going to come a time when you're going to be discouraged in life, discouraged in the ministry, discouraged as a person. Just life can be discouraging. And I think that's obvious for most of us. But she would say, read God's word daily. Enjoy it. Nourish on it. But she said something else that I thought was a little bit different, and I want to share it with you. She said, read missionary biographies. And she said, commit to me that you and Louise will read missionary biographies. She said, if you do that, a few things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to immediately stop feeling sorry for yourself in chapter one. <laughs> and you'll continue to stop feeling chapter, sorry for yourself in chapter two and all the way through. And she said, it's going to help you keep your trials in perspective. It's going to keep your suffering in perspective. The book of 1 Peter offers something to all of us that are in Christ. It offers us a gospel perspective on all of our short lives. Our life, as we have learned and continue to learn, is but a vapor. So the author of this book, which is Peter, he writes to somebody. Who does he write to? He's writing to us, yes, but the original audience. He's writing to Christians that are facing intense suffering. The message is one of hope, this letter. It's a message of hope. It's a message of grace. And, and also, everything that we read here is centered on something very profound. Not just Christ, if that wasn't enough, the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. 
The book of 1 Peter is going to help each of us to understand what we really need to understand and continue to understand the hope-filled message and experience of the resurrection life that Jesus Christ offers us today and forevermore, as long as we're on this earth. The resurrection of Jesus is not something that's not a one-time deal. It's something that we keep going back to the cross and thinking what Christ has done. So with that in view, my sermon title is, We Are a Hopeful People. We, meaning those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We, you, Pastor Charlie, is a hopeful people according to the Word of God. But Peter opens up this letter with a greeting. It's pretty standard. Let's look at it. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He then says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. And then he ends that little greeting with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, to you, church. It's a pastor that loves his church, cares for them deeply, is shepherding them and shepherding them well, as every pastor should do, every leader should do. We see that in verse 1, that Peter identifies himself in a unique way. What does he say? He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we see right there that it's Peter who not only authored this letter, but Peter identifies himself as, it, it, he identifies himself as the apostles, the apostle of Jesus Christ. This word apostle means one who is sent. Christ's divinely ordained, direct commission, authoritative representatives in the early church. That is what an apostle is, sent out by Christ himself, that is Peter. Peter is one of a dozen men who walked with Jesus. Let me say that again. The author of this letter, this man, literally walked with Jesus. As he walked with Jesus, he bore witness to his life. He bore witness to his ministry, to the miracles, his death, and the resurrection. He bore witness to this. So Peter writes this letter with apostolic authority because he was there and Christ says so. So as we read that letter, keep that in view. Again, who was Peter writing to? Well, it says here, the elect exiles or pilgrims, depending on your uh, translation, you know, elect exiles or pilgrims, these are strangers placed into a land that's not their own. Some of you say, I feel like this world we're living in, it's not really the same anymore. I feel like I don't belong here. It's weird now. It's always been weird, but let's agree it's getting weirder, darker, right? Elect exiles here in the text. So, so, so Peter's saying, those of you who are temporary residents or foreigners, I wonder if they all knew they were temporary residents or foreigners. They're obviously learning that. This is all new. They're not reading books on this. This is all happening fast. It's happening now. Yet these are the elect, according to the word. The elect, the called out ones. The idea here is that they have been selected by God or chosen by God for salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. 
It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, lest no man should boast. I think we get that. So Peter is writing to Christians. Christians. That's the primary audience. Yes, there's a secondary audience, but primarily the church, the Christians. So exiles of the dispersion. Again, dispersion is believers who have been scattered around the world. That's all that means. So if you see that in the text, families, dispersion, it's the believers who have been scattered all over the place. They once were in this city, and now they're all over the place now. That's the dispersion, right? Elexiles of the dispersion, and then it goes on to give about five of these provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are the five Roman provinces, what is now, today, modern Turkey. Do you know what the percentage of people are in Turkey, this Bible land, that are Christians today? Less than a half a percent. It's amazing what's happening in these Bible lands where the gospel went out, and now many have rejected it. But yet the Lord still says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Just a side point. These uh, places in which they've been dispersed, there's consequences for being uprooted from their home. They're feeling the weight of that. Their families are feeling the weight of that. They're being scattered. They're being uprooted from their homes, from their families, from their jobs. Uh, Paul is writing to say, I want to encourage you. I don't want to discourage you. He's not going to them saying, I'll tell you what you need to do is I just want you to pray more. Have more faith. No, he's coming like a shepherd. Those things are important. But he's saying, I'm coming to you. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a living hope. I want to encourage you because every believer needs to be encouraged. All of us need to be encouraged. We need to get good at encouraging people, pastor included. They've been uprooted. They're in the midst of persecution. Paul is writing to let them know, yes, I see you. I understand. I see you. I understand. I'm with you. However, I got to give you the truth. Suffering is normal. It's part and parcel of the gospel message. So he doesn't just say, it's just normal, get over it. He gets to that. It's normal. God hasn't forsaken you. You're not alone. This is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. And then as we continue to read, he'll tell them several different times, this is not your home. This is not where it's going to end for you. There's something for you to look forward to. This is not the end. But we see in verse 2 something very brilliant, and you can exegete this probably for you know, 50 weeks. I can't, but some smart preacher could. But why don't we just look at verse 2 and see what you see there. Give you a hint. One of the things we see is the Trinity. According to the foreknowledge of God, verse 2, the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. We see the Trinity on full display here. It is this triune God that secures and accomplishes this great salvation that he, think he talks about, Peter does. We know that the Spirit sanctifies those from, from, from sanctifies those whom the Father has chosen for obedience to Christ. We, we know that. But we are set apart 
So the message to us and to them, we are set apart people, not because of what you've done, because of what Christ has done, and we're to be hopeful because of it. But he just keeps going. We see that Christ was sacrificed. We see it. We see his blood was poured out. We know it. Uh, once God uh, said to Moses, you may recall this, it's in Exodus 24, 8, but he's, the Lord said to Moses, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take these people. I want you to set apart Israel. Set them apart. Set them apart. And as you set them apart, know that they're my covenant people. It's by sprinkle the blood of sacrificed animals on the people. Moses, I want you to do that. I want you to take my set-apart people, sacrifice animals, sprinkle blood on them. I want people to know these are my people. We see that. Exodus 24.8 says, And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people, and he said, Behold, again, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So we are to be a hopeful people. We see an example there of the old covenant. We're now into the new covenant. We see that uh, being depicted in our text this morning. We are to be a hopeful people because we, in fact, live under the new covenant. Christ is the one and done sacrifice. It's Christ's blood that ushers us into this new covenant because of his sacrificial death. The Son has established, the Son meaning Jesus, second person of the Godhead, that Jesus himself, Jesus, comes to his people. He establishes a new and better covenant. Jesus is better than. Remember Hebrews? He's better than. It's a new and better covenant. I want to stop now because I feel like I'm being a bit didactic, but when I just read the first couple of verses there, and even if you can't grasp every single word and don't know the Greek, you know, just can you just back up for a second and understand this, what Christ has done? Does that encourage you? You see, Peter wants the people of God to be encouraged. Let me ask another question. Are you satisfied that Christ has satisfied the wrath of God? Does that satisfy you? I guess another question that we can go along with that is, just before the Lord at this time, can I ask you a personal question? Are you a hopeful person? Are you hopeful? I mean, truly, are you a hopeful person? I want to give you an illustration that I think all of you are going to grasp. Has anybody here heard of Weenie the Pooh? You see, Weenie the Pooh is a pretty good guy, but he's got a friend, and his friend's name is Eeyore. Eeyore is an old donkey. Do you guys have any friends that are old donkeys? He's an old donkey. He's very pessimistic, and he's quick to always point out the dark clouds above. But we see in this little... Uh, make-believe story that his friends rally around him. And they try to help him the best they can, but old Eeyore just keeps pointing, 
to what, what's not right? Did you see the dark clouds? Did you see this? Oh, woe is me. That's just Eeyore. That's, that's, that's kind of how he is. But he's got some times where he, he seems to be making progress, but he keeps just going right back to being good old Eeyore because he's a character. Characters do what they do. Characters are dead, but Christians are alive. So alive people do something different than a character. They're alive. They obey. They want to because of what he's done for us. Do you have a friend like Eeyore? Everybody's got it. If you do, just say yes. Are you Eeyore? Say yes. Here's the reality. All of us are like Eeyore from time to time. I know I am. I hate to admit that, but it's true. We need encouragement. That's the second time I've said that. We need friends. We need proper biblical perspective. We need help. How many of you know you need help? I need help. I need help. We need truth. We, we, need, we need truth. We need hope. Did you know that the world right now is desperate for hope? It's the Christians who are to be the hope dealers. Not drug dealers, hope dealers. This is not just for you. This is for your pastor. The world doesn't need any more sages on the stage. All of us. This word of God is for all of us. There are no grace graduates. Just a painful sanctification process. And we're all in it together. We need the truth. We need hope. Peter, though, in him saying, be hopeful. And yes, here's the good news of the gospel. But I want to I go to verse 6 and, and notice something. And I'll come back. But, and I'm not going to repeat the whole verse. But basically in verse 6, so now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's not ignoring the dark times of life. That's not how he ministers to the people. That's not how he encourages the people. He talks to them about it. He understands. If anybody understands doing the wrong thing, you know, Peter, insert, insert your foot in your mouth, Peter. It's him. But praise God, the, sanctif the sanctification process of his life shows him now as a mature man. Peter does not ignore the dark, the dark times of life. But it says, though now for a little while, verse 6, you have been grieved, grieved by various, various trials. This word grieve here, this is not just, yeah, man, there's some hard stuff going on. Sometimes we think the hard stuff is when we go to a restaurant and they make you wait an extra five minutes or forget your soda <clears throat> or yet to go back in. You didn't put the hot sauce in there? Are you kidding me right now? No, not that kind. I mean like grief, like sorrow, despair, where you're hurting. He's talking about that time. So think about why is he putting this in there? Because that's what many of them are going through. They've got deep sorrow. They've, they've got deep pain. This week as I answered my phone, I spent a lot of time with people who were in deep pain. Not all of them. There were a lot of people going to emergency room this week, or kids going to emergency. There was a lot going on this week. It was tough. But this pain that we see here, this pain or the grief, is, it, it, it says something here. It says that's going to happen, but 
you're going to have various trials, but also as we continue to read, we understand that it's temporal. These don't go on forever. So what he's saying to the church is don't lose hope. He's not saying it's going to go away now. He's saying don't lose hope. Be hopeful in the midst of it all. But how in the world can we do such things? How is it that these people are to do such things? Because that's a lot to take in. Well, we have to understand that we have a true shepherd who looks after our soul, this Lord, this Savior. And we have to understand that it's in these moments of, of, of various trials and, and grief that, that God is doing something in the moments. He's not wasting it. He's using it if you will let him. You can continue to be a victim or you can get up under the victor, which is Christ. God will change you. He never wastes a hurt. He's always doing something in those moments where we think he's not. All trials are not happening to you. They're happening for you. I hate when I say that because it's hard to obey that. Think about what I just said. Was it reckless? These trials are not happening to you. They're happening for you. That's preacher talk. It really is. But it's true. When we start seeing the trials as, it's not happening to me. God's doing something. He's, he's, he's shaping me. He's molding me. He's going to use this. Something's going to come out of this that's going to help me in my walk with the Lord. Help others. He's doing something. He's doing something. He never wastes a hurt. I wrote this down. There's three things that happen in trials. There's probably more, but let me give you three. Number one, they prove your faith. Trials prove your faith. Number two, they develop your faith. So they prove your faith. They develop your faith. And here it is. It brings glory to God. Don't waste a crisis. Trials are opportunities to glorify God. Say amen. It's true. Hard to do, but true. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the fruit that should come from it. So God, again, is using persecution. God is using suffering to test us while we live in this world. It's normal Christianity. Again, don't get too comfortable in this world. It's not your home. Heaven is your home. Your reward is coming. There's an inheritance 
coming, look at 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, look at this part, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, what God reveals, what we reveal, God conceals. What we conceal, God reveals. He's a revealer. Christians need to have their sin revealed. We need to go before the Lord and ask Him to help us. Help me with my lack of faith. Help me for not noticing that you're working in my life. I just get so frustrated and bitter and angry because I I feel like this is happening to me, not for me. I'm struggling. Oh, God, would you help me? That is something God's going to help you with. I praise God that we're not a perfect people, just a forgiven people. Amen? So why are we to be a hopeful people? I'll keep asking that question. Well, we have a sure salvation, as the text says. You can't lose your salvation. Some would say, yeah, I don't know if I believe that because there was a time in my life where I knew this guy and I knew this gal and they're on fire for the Lord and they went away and they never came back to the Lord. Well, the Bible says they went out from you because they weren't of you. But we've got to be careful with that because there's prodigals running all around the place. I'm going to talk about one when I close my service. When I close the service today, I think it will encourage you. We're to be a hopeful people. This inheritance of salvation is kept for you. You see that in the text? Kept for you. God is keeping it for us. God keeps it safe. You see it? He keeps it safe. Why are we to be a hopeful people? Because of God's mercy. Go back to verse 3. God's mercy. Why are we to be hopeful people? Because we are born again to a living hope. Go back to verse 3. We're born again to a living hope. This is good news. What does it say in verse 3? Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Glad you asked. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see it? How does it all happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Not a dead hope. Living hope. Have you ever been with people who are Christians? And they believe in a risen Jesus. They're they're fired up. But they come into church, and as we begin to sing, it looks like they're sucking on lemons. No. We rejoice. We, we, we look at what we have. We're, we're blessed. According to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen, this word hope, it's not vague in the text. It's not a vague hope. It's not like, um, you know, it's not trivial. It's not like, I, I hope, you know, Louise and I find a way to get to In-N-Out Burger today. I hope we get there. That's not this type of hope. Hope in this text is a certain expectation 
of a future event. He's giving them hope by telling them the truth of this future event that they can count on. You can be certain of it. An expectation of the things to come. Something sweeter. So Peter is he's doing something here. Peter is doing something significant. He wants this church, he wants us to be a people who are grounded in the truth. Grounded in the truth. The truth of what? The resurrected Jesus. What if that's true? Jesus did not stay dead. We are hopeful because Jesus took our sins. He communed our death sentence. We are hopeful because we no longer, Christian, listen, we no longer need to fear death. The world is scared to die. You need not be that way. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we also, watch this, benefits of being sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have hope of our own resurrection. We don't die either. The world thinks we do. We spend eternity with Christ. We're hopeful. Beloved, a future resurrection is not just words, it's a promise. You can stand on this promise that the Lord gives us. It's a promise. People, Peter will go on not only to let us know that we live beyond death, but also what type of life that's going to be as we begin to unpack this epistle. Yes, there's persecutions. We saw it. Yes, there's trials. We saw that in James. Yes, they cause us grief. That's okay. But the worst persecution, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, your life could get cut short. Persecution can come on you as it comes on to many of our missionaries overseas. It could lead to death. You know who's ruling during this time? Nero. He hates Christians. He hates the church. He's not for the church. It would be great, bring him great honor. We think we're persecuted. It would bring him great honor to take some of the people who don't agree with him and go ahead and put them on a stick and cover them with black pitch and light them on fire so he can have light for his parties. It's a different kind of persecution. Different kind, right? This is serious. Persecution, trials, they cause us grief. We may even pay the ultimate price for our faith. Yes, we, yet we can be sure, sure, this church can be sure, we can be sure that death will not hold us down, that sudden death is in fact sudden glory for the believer. Amen? Look at verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I pray that's true for you. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Glory to God. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a verse. What verses. You see, when we believe God, when you believe God, you obey God. Not perfectly. 
consistently, pattern. When you love God, you rejoice. There's a word here It says rejoice in the text. It's not saying rejoice later. It's saying rejoice now. So we can rejoice when things are going sideways. When we're grieving, we can still rejoice. So the text is saying that we can do both things. We can grieve and we can rejoice. Both can be done. It says you thank Him. It says, believers, you praise Him. You praise Him for the future. You praise Him for the future that He has for us. You praise Him for what He's already done. So let that inspire us. Let us be a people who delight in Him. He's doing something now in you. He ain't done with you yet. Ain't ain't a word, but it fits here. He ain't done with you yet. And he's already done something. So he's done something pretty significant. He was slaughtered for our iniquities on the cross, and he continues to work in our lives because he's alive. The question is, not that is he alive, are we alive? Truly regenerated and truly love God. There are many of you here that do love God. And what a joy it is to be part of this fellowship with you. I want to give you a couple of applications for this text. And let me ask a couple of questions. Why are Christians to be hopeful? Did you see that in the text? Maybe when you go out today and you have lunch or you're with a girlfriend, you're hanging out with people, with your sons, daughters. Why are Christians to be hopeful? Did you see it in there? What are some ways that we can live hopeful even when we're grieved. Consider that. I think those questions are in your bulletin. Let me give you a couple things that you can do. Learn the secret of contentment. Contentment flows out of the believing that God has provided everything we need for the present moment, and that he will provide all that we need in the future. We want to ask God in these moments, not about just what our needs are, even though you can come and you should. Ask God to fulfill his purposes. God uses adversity to show us what is in our hearts to purify us and to deepen our dependence on Him. Anybody feeling like they're way deep in depending on the Lord right now? Amen, right? Some seasons can be proved to be great times of blessing, but sometimes we're being stripped, not because we've done something, Sometimes it is stuff we do. We have, we're self-reliant and our hearts have turned from the Lord and He tries to get our attention. There's lots of reasons here. I guess I would also say, place your confidence in the Lord. Learn the secret of contentment. Ask God to fulfill His purposes. Allow God to purify your heart. Place your confidence in the Lord because He can be trusted. He loves His people. He knows what you're facing. He cares for you. Peter cares for this flock. How much more so does the Lord care? These circumstances that you are going through, trials or a friend's going through, they're not a surprise to the Lord. They haven't caught him off guard. He's still on the throne and he's accomplishing his purposes through these things. We have to trust him with various trials. He will provide, and this is what I believe for many of you, now is a time for you to put into action what you say you believe. And I believe you're going to do well. 
Now is the time to see what God can do. So here's a few things. Remember what God has done in the past. Notice this letter goes back to the Old Testament a lot. Remember what God has done in the past. Let's rely on his character. Let's rehearse his promises. We saw a promise in the text today. Refrain from taking matters into your own hands. Don't let fear drive you to places God doesn't want you to go. The last thing, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Regardless of what's going on in the world, what's going on in your personal situation, if we have him, if we have him, we have everything that we need. Everything we need, we have plenty of reasons to rejoice. So I want you to think about that. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in what Christ has done or what God's doing or what you know he's going to do. And trust him with it. Trust him. He can be trusted. I want to leave you with this. About five weeks ago, I uh, took an Uber. If you don't know what an Uber is, a taxi. And as I took this Uber, I... I was picked up, uh, I don't even know where I was at, but anyways, the, the ride took me to, my house, to, the, to the church. This lady picked me up. She's a fiery lady. As soon as I sat down, she was going for it. I mean, she was talking politics. She was talking everything. It was boom, 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 boom. I said, you're a fiery bird, you know that? Because I'm 74 years old. I ain't afraid of work. I like to work. Work's good. We should all work. And she just kept going and going and going and going. And as she began to talk, she said a lot of things. Some were a little, you couldn't say them in church. And as we pulled up to the church, the doors were shut. I could see a, her little iPhone that was on her dash pinged. It pinged like, you're there. And then she saw, it said, Lakeshore City Church. So realizing that she said a lot of things, she's in the front, she looks back at me, and she says, do, do you work here? I said, I do. And she said, what do you do? So I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. I, I know better. You got me. And I said to her, I said, Charlotte, why don't you come in and use the restroom? Let me get you a glass of water. And she goes, you know, I'd like that. So she parked her car out front, let it running, left it running, came in. Use the bathroom right over there. I gave her a drink. I invited her to church. Here's my number. Love to have you sit next to me if you come. She says, I'll do that. She gets home and she texts me. She says, I can't stop thinking about our conversation. I almost feel like God was in this thing. I said, yeah, he has a funny way of doing that. So she shows up on Sunday. Ryan, you got that picture you can put up for me? No. So I took a, one of the seats right here, right next to Ron Gallerini, our care pastor. I, put, I printed out her name, put it on the chair, had a gift card for her, a book. So her name is there. She comes and she sits next to me. And we just start having a conversation about the things of the Lord. She told me how she was saved at an early age and was baptized and she'd kind of been unchurched for a while since the whole COVID thing and she was apologetic, and I just kept talking to her and encouraging her. And uh, 
I had to get up and preach. When I got done preaching, she hugged me. She hugged people that were next to me. She kept talking to me. I just love this church. I love what God's doing here. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I found this place. She texted me when she got home, and she texted me every single day. She texted me so much that I had to say, you know, Charlotte, let me introduce you to my mom. She's more your age. She goes, well, I'd like that. I said, well, my mom sits in the second row right next to Miss Faye, Tony, and then you'll be my mom. You want to do that? She goes, I'll love that. And I said, why don't you come out? So she did. Second week, she sat next to my mom and Miss Tony and Miss Faye. And with the first worship song, I think it was, she left her, she brought a friend. She left her friend and she came to the front. And I said, what are you doing? So I can't sit still. I got to dance. I said, ma'am, we're in a Baptist church. We don't do that here. She started dancing. She got done, same thing. She texts me each day, and then on Friday, she says, Pastor, I'm not feeling well. Just pray for me. I said, I sure will. Then uh, the next week, uh, I get a text from uh, her friend that she brought. She said, I got some sad news. Uh, Charlotte uh, had a heart attack and had a stroke. And I said, well, let me get the prayer team to be praying for her. I kept checking in on her, and I got the news yesterday that Charlotte had passed away. You never know. You never know. I praise God for the living hope. I praise, praise God for the gospel that he took one of his prodigals and brought her home. I just want you to think about that and be encouraged. She would never want to trade places with me and you today. She understands a living hope better than any pastor could articulate. She's there. Where will you spend eternity? If you're a prodigal today, come home. If you don't know Jesus today, make it known. If you're going through a lot, come, let us pray for you. Let us truly pray for you. Let us encourage you.